Welcome to At the Crossroads Church weekly podcast. Our hope is that you will grow in your walk with God and be blessed and encouraged in your daily lives as you listen. You can visit us at our website at atthecrossroads.ca. All right, so this message today is called Contend for the Big Three. Contend for the big three. Uh, Travis, when he asked me to fill in this Sunday, I was like, well, sure, no problem. And I was like, Lord, what is it? He gave me some things that's pretty awesome, and I put it all down here for you. Um, before we get into the bulk of the message, we have a salvation message to pre- prelude with or to lead with. And the reason for that is because it will set up the rest of the message. I would like to call to everybody's remembrance that uh, Satan fell from heaven. Okay, yeah, okay. Then he led a rebellion in heaven. He took a third of the angels with him. He decided that he wasn't happy with his station, thought he was worthy of more. And so in this rebellion, he came to earth and he was able to deceive Eve into doing what was wrong. And then Adam came along or was there the whole time. Not really sure, to be honest. But Adam wasn't deceived, the Bible says. He chose to sin. And so that kind of sin, I believe, is coercion type sin. It's my personal opinion that Adam ate the, ate the fruit in order to be on the same ground with Eve in the moment. I think he was caught up. But he wasn't deceived. He, he chose to sin. But the enemy to this day is still leading that rebellion. And it's not ended. It's continuing. And so the enemy is endeavoring to make a headway in this movement on the earth. And in our, on the earth and creation, we have two fundamental kingdoms that are at war with each other. We have that rebellion of sin, which is situated and founded in fear, because rebellion is fear-based. You think about it. Any time there's been a mutiny, any time somebody or an organization rebels against the leader, it's because they're afraid. They're afraid of the future. They're afraid of what's going to happen. They're afraid of circumstances outside of their control. And so in the same way, Satan rebelled because he was afraid he wasn't going to get his due. And so Satan is trying to convince to this very day that you won't get your due. And he uses fear to do that. On the flip side of that, God's kingdom is founded in love. And you're going to hear this theme repeated over and over in this church because it's true. God's kingdom is founded in love. God operates and conducts himself and fights for you out of love, not out of fear. And that's why perfect love casts out all fear. Now, in this world, you are either in the enemy's camp or you are in God's camp. There is no in-between. There is no army of one. And we know that in this world and in creation, that if you are not born again, if you have not accepted Christ as your personal Savior to pay for your sin, then you are still in the enemy's camp. And so we're going to go through some scriptures to highlight this because it's important to recognize that Satan doesn't recruit from the world. Satan does not recruit rebellion members from the world because they're already belonging to that movement. But let's go through some scriptures here because it's my, my dearest hope that if you're here today and you don't know the Lord as your personal savior, you'll be convinced of the importance of it. So dead in sin means that you are not born again. So if you have not accepted Christ as your personal Savior, you are dead in sin. The Bible says that you are a dead man walking or a woman. Spiritually speaking, you are cut off and divorced from the family of God. And the God of heaven who loves you dearly would like to have a relationship with you cannot. 
because you have chosen to be outside of it. And he's given you an opportunity to make a different choice. Romans 5.12. I'm going to move. Oh, and I should also mention, there's going to be a lot of scriptures in this. And I know everybody loves taking notes. So what I did for the first service as well is I have a Word document here. At the end of the service, I'm putting my laptop on that black table. You can go up and put your email address in, and I will just send you my notes, complete with scriptures. And then that will save you from having to make all those notes. Unless you like to make notes, that's fine. But if you're like me, I can either write or I can listen. I have a hard time doing both. And so if you want to just listen, and that's good for you, you can go... Give me your email. I won't give it to anybody else. It'll just be in a blind CC, and everybody will get these notes attached. Okay. Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Notice it says by one man, not one woman. Adam wasn't deceived. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if you are in this place and you think that, well, I'm not a bad person. I'm, I'm actually a pretty good person. Like, you know, a day-to-day, I do a pretty good job of being good, I think, in my own estimation. And therefore, I don't think I really need to worry about forgiveness of sins. Well, you do, because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And 1 John 3, 8 says, he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So if you've, having, knowing then that we're all in sin, if you don't know the Lord, if you're not a part of the family of God, then you're in sin, then you are not of the God, you are of the devil, straight up, no messing around, black and white. Luke 5.32 says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus came, this is Jesus speaking, Jesus came to the earth in order to make a way for you to be repentant, to have forgiveness of sin, to join the family of God. And Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other, no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So there is no religion, there is no works, there is nothing that you can do outside of salvation in Christ Jesus that will see you to the throne of God in an acceptable manner. There is no other way. God does not have a set of balances in heaven weighing your good versus bad, it's just the blood of Christ on the mercy seat. And if you think that somehow you are sorry for your sin and then that God will know your heart. Well, God knows my heart. And so if I'm really, really sorry, God will just forgive me. Second Corinthians 7 verse 10 says, For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So unless you are repenting from your sorrow and saying that, God, you're right and I'm wrong, if you're just sorry, you feel sorry, that's worldly sorrow, and it still leads to death. And you can be sorry as you want and lament over your wrongdoing, but worldly sorrow will still ultimately take you to death. John twelve forty eight. He that rejects Christ or rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one judgment. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So one day you will stand before the Lord and you'll give an account for your life. And the Lord won't accuse you, but his written word will. And the word that you hear today, knowing that you are outside of God's family and plan of salvation, will be the thing that will witness 
in that day of judgment that you're guilty. So you must repent and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that his blood on the cross was shed for you. Romans 10.10, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And if you've not repented that you're wrong and God is true and confessed faith and acceptance in the price paid for you, then you are still a part of Satan's rebellion. So Satan's rebellion is designed to oppose all that God created to be good. And Satan hates what God loves, naturally, because he's the enemy of God. So anything that God loves, he hates. And he seeks to subvert it. Now, subvert means to undermine. Now, you've heard us talk about submission, getting under the mission, right? Subvert is when you get under the mission to destroy it. It's like cloak and dagger type stuff. All right, it's not obvious opposition. It's, it's, I'm in this, and I am trying to destroy it from the inside. And there are three institutions that God has created to be good and represent his eternal Godhead. And these three are under constant assault from Satan because he seeks to destroy their goodness and therefore call into, God's, into, God, into question God's goodness. And I think it's interesting in creation how God, like, has groupings of threes. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have the Trinity. He created us. We're a three-part being, body, soul, and spirit. We live in a three-dimensional world. Water has three states. And the list goes on and on. God has, has, has fundamentally put things in place in threes. And I think it's built on that aspect of the Trinity. Uh, so it's represented in natural creation. In the same way, there are three core institutions Institutions that God has established in creation to represent the kingdom of God. And we're going to get to those in just a second. Satan recruits from the saved and living children of God to assist him in destroying godly institutions. Satan does not need to recruit people that are in his kingdom. The, re the rebellion is still active. Satan recruits from within the church. He's looking to recruit you. That's what he does. And why does Satan need to recruit you? Because Satan cannot touch these th big three institutions because they're established in the kingdom of God on this earth. And the administration of them is via the church. Matthew 16, 18 says, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Satan cannot touch the church as a body. He cannot. So he needs to recruit you to subvert the mission of God on his behalf. Matthew 16, 19, the next verse says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, the church has total control, absolute authority, over the goings-on of the kingdom of God on this earth. We are mandated for furthering it. And so the enemy has no means, absolute no means of touching or hindering the move of God outside of using people within the movement. Satan requires you to be his hands and feet in a living kingdom to still kill and destroy on his behalf. Let that sink in for a second. Has anybody ever thought about this? Maybe not in so many words. 
John 10 verse 10 says, the thief cometh not, you should know this very well, but to steal, kill, and to destroy. So there's the mission statement of Satan. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Now, as children of God, we are supposed to be the hands and feet of Christ, not Satan. But Satan copies God's strategies. Satan's a copycat. He's not very creative, as it turns out. God, on the other hand, very creative. So God created everything. And then Satan, in his quest to be God, just copies everything he does in order to build his kingdom. And Satan has spawned divisive tools and uses them among God's people in order to recruit assistance in destroying these institutions. So Satan has three core tools that he will use on you to recruit you to collaborate with him in in a goal to destroy. And so let's talk about these three institutions now. I'm going to outline them for you. The three institutions that God has made and founded and are administered by the church or the body of Christ as a whole, the kingdom of God as a whole, is marriage between a man and a woman. Number two, the family unit that results from marriage. And thirdly, the body of Christ, which is God's family. Beautiful. Besides confusing the truth of basic creational purpose that God has exercised and ordained to continue until the end of time, Satan uses three basic strategies or tools to both complete your recruitment process and also to destroy these three institutions. So simultaneously, he's working two agendas, to destroy you, but also to use you to destroy these three things that God has set up. And so these three things... Is he these three tools, and I know there's lots of tools he uses, but three fundamental tools that you can branch out with lots of other sub-tools is division, the tool of division. Division is singling out of yourself, yourself singling out or singling out others. Interesting, I was telling the other, the other group about this. Um, in Africa, there was a biologist researching and studying um, zebra herds. And I think I've told the story before in church, but I thought it was just like so fantastic. I wanted to bring it again, make sure everybody hears it. So he's studying these zebras. And as you can imagine, zebras, they look really a lot alike, like really alike. And so he's sitting there and he's trying to watch, he's like picked one zebra and he's trying to watch the zebra and he's trying it from a blind and he's documenting like its habits, what it does, that kind of thing, right? He's, he's, he's researching. But he's having a really hard time. This is a true story. He's having a hard time picking out this zebra because like you take your eyes off it for a second and it's gone. It's like, oh, which one was it? And so it was really, so he's like, I got a solution. So he tranked one, put a little paint mark on its haunch on both sides so that he could identify it. It's like, okay, I can pick this one out of the crowd now, right? But several days later, that zebra was killed by a predator and eaten. And he thought, well, that's inconvenient. So he went and did it again to another zebra. That one was killed too within several days. It's like, what the heck's going on? So he does it a third time. Same result. All of a sudden now his study shifted. He realized he had stumbled onto something. And so he realized that the zebras will look identical in order to protect them. A predator, see predators, as you often heard, predators will go after like the weak and the feeble or the lame, right? But the reason they do that isn't because they're easy targets. It's because they're targets. They can be picked out from the crowd. This one's slower. That one's limping. It has a distinguishing characteristic that is allowing the predator to pick it out. 
And the predator is then able to strategize and uh, hunt down and track this one individual. But, because there's a method to employ, right? But when there's a group and they can't, he keeps losing track of that one. They keep, it's like, okay, which one? And they, they have a hard time. So sometimes predators will try to drive out or single out a single animal from the herd, cut, the, cut it out so that they can take it down. That's why. So they, have, they keep losing track of it. So in the same way, division is used by the enemy to paint a mark on you or to highlight you for attack. Or the enemy will use you to do the same thing for somebody else. It's, it's trying to single somebody out from the body or from the group or from the unit. Uh, the second tool is gossip and accusation. They're both the same thing, but one is overt and one is covert. So uh, gossip is very covert. It's not to the person's face, behind their back, spreading lies, misinformation, calling into question their character, you know, gossip. And this is why the Bible talks about gossip being not a great thing. And then accusation is overt, in your face, out loud. I don't care if somebody hears me, that person, and you start laying accusations at their feet. Blah, da, 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 da about that person. The third argument, pardon me, the third tool is arguments against truth and fidelity. So arguments within yourself, in your own mind, in your own heart, and arguments out loud with, your, with the units of God, with, within the marriage, within the family, within the, the church. And these arguments are usually fundamentally against truth and fidelity. And we're going to go into some examples of this and how that kind of plays out. But when we have all these tools take an effect or when they're working in your life, or in the unit's life, I'm going to keep calling the, these big three organization units just for the ease of reference. Um, when they have taken full effect, the result is rebellion against God, family, and the spouse. And if Satan can accomplish those, he's glad. But his ultimate goal, keep in mind, is to destroy you as well. So Satan uses three basic tools of division. And here's how it works. The basic process of Satan to recruit you into the rebellion is as follows. Now, and before I read these, I think this is really important for every person to hear and ask the Holy Spirit. Just ask God, like, where has the enemy been recruiting me without realizing it? And if you've ever seen a good spy movie, right? Like a really good spy movie? I, okay. And sometimes a double agent or a spy within an organization is recruited by an enemy agency, and sometimes they don't even realize that they're being recruited until it's too late. You ever seen those? It's like a really good grooming person can groom an agent from another organization in little ways without them realizing it, getting them to doubt the authenticity of their own organization they're working for. So this is how enemy works in our lives. So the basic process is, looks something like this. You'll begin to think that you do not fit into your unit, whatever that unit is, whether it's your marriage, your family, your church. The reasons will vary, but the thoughts will be introduced to you, and if you accept them and dwell on them, then you will begin to condition your outlook with that as a filter. Everything anybody says to you, your interactions with everybody, you'll begin to view it out of a sense of, oh, I'm different, or I don't belong. You will feel increasingly isolated even while still a part of your unit. This will manifest into you acting on this feeling as you choose to isolate yourself further while feeling that it's actually the unit that has done it to you rather than you to yourself. This is how the enemy works. Convince you that you're actually not a part of it and that it's them doing it 
but it's the enemy. You will begin to question the intentions and love of your unit. Again, be it marriage, family, or the family of God. And I'm not talking, it can extend to like a church body like this, but I'm, I'm also talking about a big macro sense of like the body of God across the world, like the family of God kind of thing too. As you act on these increasingly over time, your isolation becomes more pronounced until the day you divorce yourself from that unit. Now, we see this happening in our families. Any one of you right now could put your hand up and say like, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I see this in my family. I see this in my church, or I've seen it in my church. And that's because the enemy is working. We're in a world, in a fallen world, where the enemy is largely its way, except for the church. And so the church has to learn to safeguard itself. You have to learn to safeguard yourself against this subversion, this rebellious recruiting, in order to preserve, out of love, your own unit. Now, sometimes the reasons for separating yourself from a marriage or an earthly family is needed because there's abuse and you need the safety of God's family. 100% yes. Because keep in mind, Satan can use outside parties that are already in his camp to directly impact you. Okay? And he does. And so sometimes you just need to get out of a bad situation. And I'm not saying that somehow you're to blame or this is, you know, but this, that's an overt extension of enemy, the enemy's attack on you personally. Right? But I'm talking more about that subversive attitude that's going on in your heart personally. This morning isn't about what other people are doing to you. It's about what you're doing with the enemy in relationship to everybody else around you. It's, I'm talking about the eroding of relationships. So let's look at the first uh, unit, which is marriage. Examples of erosion. And you're going to start to see a very similar pattern in these because I wrote them and I... You know, you're going to see my thought process, but the pattern is legit. You feel like you or your spouse are different people now. You or your spouse are more focused in their own wants than the other. There is little or no sacrificial willingness to serve each other. You begin to accuse each other of evil, either behind their backs or to their face you know, with your friends or whatever. It just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't treat me nice anymore. Or the, the husband's like, I don't know what she's doing behind my back, but I don't trust her. And then all of this stuff culminates into arguments, increasing arguments of why you're right and they're wrong. And those arguments go unresolved. And then these grow into looking outside of the marriage for gratification and fulfillment. So as you perceive that your needs aren't being met within the marriage, you start looking, the temptation and the, the, the danger is looking outside of that marriage relationship to satisfy the need for intimacy and understanding and being served. And this is why if you're married, spending time with the opposite sex is dangerous, as you may provide yourself the opportunity to emotionally and gradually physically fulfill your needs in a person that's not your spouse. And I guarantee you the enemy will push on that button, because that's what his objective is. Uh, my wife and I have very strict rules about myself spending time with any other woman that is not my wife. Even, some, even to the point of my sisters-in-law, I'm very careful about where I am and if I'm with them on, alone. Not because I'm worried, not because I'm, I'm thinking, oh no, I have a problem. It's, it's, it's just, I don't want to give grounds to the enemy ever. And, and gossip, and the enemy will use other people to produce gossip in the body of Christ, and I don't want as much as I can to reduce that as well within reason. 
family unit erosion. So here we go now for the family unit. So, you know, kids, relatives, that kind of thing. You may feel like your family doesn't understand you. You may feel that they are more focused on their needs rather than yours. Accusing family members of evil. So you'll start accusing them of, of evil things or ill intentions. There's a building up of family flaws rather than virtue. In other words, you're going to start accusing them of all their things that you think they do wrong or that's wrong with them. You don't do this. You don't do that. You're this way. You're that way. And instead of building them up in love and pointing out all the virtuous things, arguments start to happen over family values within the family unit. These will grow, and as you isolate yourself from your family, you will find others that feel the same as you. You see this classic in teenagers all the time, right? It's like, you don't get me, you don't understand me, and I was one of those, I get it, right? And then it's like, next thing you know, you're, as, you find yourself associating with other people that are of the very same spirit that you are, which is rebellious. And it just takes you down a spiral that goes even deeper. So you spiral downwards into this to amplify your isolation, believing it will growing it will grow in individuality. So sometimes people will, as they divorce themselves or separate themselves from their unit, they're trying to find their identity, right? But then they discover their identity is actually just rebellious. They're joining the rebellion of Satan. Satan also feels this perception of truth. So sometimes people that isolate themselves, they convince themselves that I'm right and they're wrong. Nobody gets me, right? But Satan also feels this way. Satan also feels that nobody gets him. And he had to, he, he, it's not that he rebelled because, you know, like he was asked to or whatever. He just felt it was absolutely imperative that he do it. He had to, he had to take steps. And so we have to be careful about our motivations in why we separate ourselves. Now, you may have noticed that in all these patterns and tools of the enemy, that there's a focus on self rather than others. In all of them, there's always this hyper-acute focus on your own self, on your own needs, on your own desires. You know, what about me? And so this can be a discerning pattern in your life. So if you discern that you have these motivations in your life, this is a red flag that the enemy is subverting and trying to solicit your cooperation within these different units. And you need to take hold of that and get rid of it. The Bible says that we're supposed to be like Christ, right? Conformed to his likeness. We're all supposed to be zebras. But when we're trying, so busy trying to be ourselves, sheep, sheep, I think the Bible says, we're all like sheep that look identical. Yeah, okay. But when we're busy trying to focus on ourselves, and, well, what about me? It's like, where, where's, where's the Christ's heart in that? Christ came and gave himself fully for sin. But are we willing to give ourselves fully for the kingdom of God and for our units? So how do we combat the strategy of Satan? Well, the first step, and you've heard it many times, and you're going to keep hearing it many times, is take every thought captive. 2 Corinthians 10.5, and that's not available for you to put up. Seek fellowship with your unit, even if you don't want it. You can't have a relationship with something or someone if you're not in its face. If you're not looking for a relationship, you're not going to get it. You have to choose to do it, even if you don't want it. 
Choose to be self-sacrificing if it means accomplishing God's truth. So if on the right hand you have what God is saying you should do, but it'll cost you something, and on the left you can do something that won't cost you anything and it'll actually benefit you, you have to go right every time. Lovingly identify error, whether it be in your unit or in yourself. Preferably start with yourself. Lovingly identify error. This is light. This is the light portion of the church that we're supposed to be walking in. And lovingly seek to preserve, preserve relationship within these three units. And that's salt. Salt brings healing. Choose to deliberately build God's big three units and you will protect and save yourself and perhaps even your life. The Bible says that if we seek to save our lives, we will. And if we choose to give our lives or lose our lives for his sake, we will. So Satan's job is to convince you to save your life. So when these three tools of the enemy have taken effect in your units, full effect, the result is rebellion against God. You'll be cut out and you'll join the rebellion of God and you'll think you're doing it for a good cause. You'll think you're being, you're being virtuous. And if Satan can accomplish those, he's glad, but his ultimate goal is to destroy you as well. And so here's the warning for you. A little bit of self-focus if you want. If we have to, if, we, if, we, if that's what it takes to reach you, that's what we'll do. Every Christian is promised an inheritance of eternal life that we will receive when our time on earth is finished. Satan looks to deceive you into rejecting it in the same way that he deceives you into being his hands and feet in an agent to destroy. Hebrews 12, 5. Bring that one up, please. Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, I don't want you to focus on the fail of grace of God part yet. Let's focus on lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Did you know that this part of Scripture, most of Scripture in the New Testament, is actually intended for the church and not for the lost world? The only thing intended for the world in the Bible is repent and the cross of Christ, redemption, the gospel message of the cross. That is intended for the world. But the rest of Scripture was intended for the church. And so... God is warning us that if we let a root of bitterness creep up in your life because of how the enemy works in it, then you're going to be defiled. And the result of that is coming up in verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. When a root of bitterness springs up and is allowed to grow in your life, you begin to act as a profane person fornicates, okay? Basically just having the way of the world, doing things the world's way. And your attitude and heart becomes profane before God. In other words, you're not guarding, you're attacking. You become bitter. And when that has fully manifested itself, verse 17, for ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, I'm not saying that if you're sitting here or if you've ever collaborated with the enemy, somehow you've lost your salvation. That's not what the scripture is saying either. The scripture is a warning that if you allow the root of bitterness to have its full work in your life and you take that to the day you die, then you're going to be in trouble. You see, Esau, when he sold his birthright to Jacob because he was hungry, he came out, he thought he was dying. He's like, 
Jacob's like, give me your birthright. And he's just like, what? thinking to himself, what good will it do me if I'm dead? Sure, so I'll sign the dotted line. But like when you sell a car or a house, it's like there's no take backs. It's not like, well, at the moment I thought I really had to do it, but it's like now I realize I didn't have to do it, so like we could just tear that up. And the lawyer's going to look at you and go, uh, no, no, you cannot. And so in the same way, and it comes to your inheritance of eternal life, if on the day you die, you stand before the Lord and you had rejected God, if you had rejected the inheritance, if you had lived your life in rebellion against God, and then you stand before the Lord and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, there's no room for repentance because it's been done. There's no take backs. The Bible says once to live and then the judgment, right? So this is how the enemy wants to destroy you. The enemy isn't satisfied with your family or the church. He isn't satisfied with your children. He wants you. And so if you protect those, you'll protect yourself. That's what the Lord is saying today. And so scripture says in many places we should repent. We should all throughout scripture, repent, 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 because repentance is God's love tool to us, to safeguard us. Satan is trying to make it out in your own mind. He'll try to convince you repentance is dirty and it's embarrassing and it's gross. And, you know, but that's pride. God is saying, I love you. Repent. Do things my way. So this morning, if, if the Holy Spirit has shown you areas in your life where you have been collaborating with the enemy without realizing or realizing, it doesn't matter if, if you've seen that, there's room for repentance. We're more than happy to minister to you. We'll pray for you. Um, worship team can come back up. They have a song, I think. We were talking about that. If you have never accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, there's definitely room on the altar for that too. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when a sinner comes to repentance. It's okay. So we'll close with this worship song. And then after the altar's open, or you can run up if you can't wait, that's fine too. Thank you for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our message. If you are in the Quinty West area, we would love to have you visit us on Sunday morning at 24 Dundas Street West, Trenton, Ontario. Check out our service times on our website at atthecrossroads.ca.